The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the host, other guests, or any affiliated entities. Each participant is responsible for their own statements and opinions. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Chada. Welcome back for another episode of Here High Trust Low Context episode 15 Vince McManhood. And joining me tonight is an old friend back from the home country of Canada, my good buddy Mr. Black. Welcome to the show. Hey good man, day. good to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. So, so Mr. Black and I go way back. We've had lots of uh, lots of great deep discussions, and I thought he'd be a really good guy to bring in for this topic. Um, as if you you know, if you've been living under a rock, uh, you probably haven't seen anything with regards to uh, Mr. Vince McMahon, the uh, you know the Godfather of pro wrestling. Although he doesn't like the word pro wrestling, he likes to use the term sports entertainment. Uh, which is uh, appalling to me, um, but uh, he he's been he's been in the news he's been in the news for a, quite a while. There's been a lot of allegations levied against him for for quite a while now. Um, you know, there's been a lot in in the wrestling world. If somebody gives an honest opinion on something, they call it a shoot. So in in the wrestling world, we have two words. We we you know to, we don't say something is real or fake. We say if something is a work or a shoot. So a work is something that's fake. It's something you do in, in, in the job. So, uh, for example, in the video I just played, <clears throat> there were a lot of incidences of Vince McMahon booking himself as uh, quite the degenerate that he is, uh, you know, making out with different female talent uh, in front of his wife even. And, uh, you know, he, he books himself as, as an evil, maniacal boss. And in a lot of times there's a, is a work shoot element in it. The, the, the lines kind of blur a bit like my background right here. And so um, uh, in this, in this regard, uh, I've been combing through going back through a lot of shoot interviews with different people who have worked with Vince McMahon. And uh, I guess maybe just I'll quickly breeze over some of the allegations that have come to light. Um, this started c coming in, uh, in, um, well, late last year. And, uh, the allegations were that Vince had an employee that he was basically keeping as a personal slave, uh, as, as a bit of a sex slave for himself. And so this, this employee, uh, alleged to that, um, Vince, uh, took her in a vulnerable spot, put her into a fake position. I think, I think um, they gave her, um, I think they gave her some BS title, something like administrative consultant or something like that, uh, or uh, some administrative coordinator or something like that. And uh, essentially what he would do is uh, he would tie her employment to 
her servicing him uh, personally and not just him. Uh, the allegations get worse. Uh, so he would share her with other employees, other executives in the company. And uh, quite, quite the disgusting stuff was alleged. I mean, you know, we're talking about defecation in her hair. Um, we're, we're talking about her being forced to make videos with them and him passing them around to other people. Um, but also, I mean, probably the most serious of them all is basically him locking the door and forcing her to perform with him and another executive. Now, that other executive is a guy by the name of John Laurinaitis, another married man, another powerful man. And, uh, you know, as part of her job description, she had to go to his hotel and service him as, quote unquote, breakfast uh, before he would go to work. And he is now claiming that he, too, is a victim. And he's like, you know, the truth will come out. And if you see through it, I mean, I was being forced to do things I didn't want to do as well. Um, this has also come back. Uh, so she she did not name this particular person, uh, but she gave enough details for us to pretty much 100 percent confirm that uh, the there's a big name in wrestling and a big name in MMA, Brock Lesnar. And uh, so she said a returning WWE superstar who uh, was a former M UFC champion. Look, it's not it's not Phil Brooks. It's not CM Punk. There's only one and it has to be Brock Lesnar. And the timing lined up and basically Vince used her as a bargaining chip to get him to resign. So as part of him coming back, he would get access to this woman whose name is Janelle Grant. <clears throat> and so, you know, you're reading these details and um, also, for example, before, so when I was coming back to the Catholic church, I used to do a lot of volunteering uh, at the church. I helped out a lot with the catechism of uh, the kids coming up. So, so kids who were getting ready for first communion, kids who were getting ready for confirmation. And as part of it, I had to go through a pretty lengthy amount of training uh, to deal with um, basically with uh, uh, child abuse uh, groomers, how to spot a groomer, how to spot an abuser, how to how to do your job in a safe way that's safe for the families and safe for yourself against accusations. And when I'm reading through this document, it was almost like the textbook of this program I had to take on, you know, how how an abuser will track down a potential victim. So she was just coming out of a situation where her parents had uh, just passed away. She had very little job experience. I think she was 21 or 24 at the time. And uh, uh, in the costs of, you know, in the U S sometimes with the healthcare system there, there were a lot of costs. So basically uh, their house had to be sold. Everything had to be sold. They were basically, you know, in, in post-mortem, they were bankrupt. And so she was left with nothing. So this lady is desperate, and she gets introduced to Vince McMahon, who takes her under his wing and uh, basically proceeds to groom her into this position because she's in a position of need. And so uh, I wanted to bring Mr. Black on because, you know, we had a lot of different topics that we had discussed possibly bringing in. And I said, you know, this one's a little bit timely. 
And I know this wasn't on our list, but I think it's something we can absolutely talk about. And, and, and the topic of Vince McMahonhood, I don't want to just talk about Vince McMahon because I think there's enough info out there on that. But I really wanted to talk about this type, this type of personality, this type of power tripping that can go on. Why men, women do this too, but you know, why men in positions of power abuse such power and, and go for more. I mean, we're talking about a man worth over a billion dollars, multi-billionaire. He's got enough money. He's got enough freedom. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got a wife with political aspirations. I believe Linda McMahon once ran for a U.S. Senator. And, um, you know, for a guy like myself and a guy like yourself, you know, we're married men, happily married men. We're fathers. Uh, we are members of our community and, uh, we try to raise our kids, right. And, uh, we try to honor our marriages and honor our wives. And, you know, you see something like this and like, for example, what, what was your reaction when you saw all this stuff coming out about Vince McMahon? Honestly, in a lot of ways, I wasn't surprised. Um, I've never been like a, a huge fan, but you know, growing up, we we used to watch uh, a lot of the events, WWF and all that. And uh, and you know, as as I grew up as a teenager, and, and especially in the '90s, the content became became more and more. Uh, how she say uh, Jerry Springer? You know, yeah. He and, cited and them I, specifically as a as an influence. Yeah, Jerry Springer, yeah. South Park. Uh, so he had all this soap opera stuff, but some of it was very, you know, crude, white trash. It was uh, um, basically the morality was out the window. It was all about just sensationalism. And of course, wrestling is about sensationalism. But now you bring in this other element, right, uh, with, you know, the sex, drugs, the betrayals, the, um, you know, no moral standards. So for a guy to build a business on that, there there's always like a deeper level to that. They, they only show like an iceberg. People only show sort of their, how much vice they have in their life. And if they're showing that much on the surface, how much has to be underneath? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like Vince had total control of the company and no story that ended up on the television screen got there without his approval. And so, you know, I get it. Like I own a, I've owned a wrestling company. I've booked myself. I have, I play a character that is much like the evil Mr. McMahon character that he portrayed on TV. And I was always told when you're putting together a, uh, a gimmick, that's what we call your character. That's what you would call your, your, you know, your storyline, your gimmick. When I put a gimmick together, what I was always told is the best gimmicks are taking you and a particular aspect of your personality and cranking it to 11. And, you know, so if I'm watching that, like, so, you know, my character, Don Chaco, is a wealthy expat who wants to blend in with the Paraguayan culture. And I, I, I come by it easily because compared to a lot of the people that I'm near, I'm wealthy. And, but I have a conscience. So I take my, myself and I erase the conscience. 
and I substitute it in with a neediness and a narcissism that I don't have, but I have encountered with other people. So you could say that maybe Vince McMahon was portraying himself in the most evil way he could for himself. And I don't really need to talk too much about the Mr. McMahon character versus Vince McMahon. They're two two completely different entities. However, this is a man who booked himself to make out with Trish Stratus in front of his comatose wife in the storyline. He uh, covered her in slop, forced her to bark like a dog. He had many of his wrestlers and talent join what was called the kiss my ass club where he would literally humiliate them in the ring by pulling his pants down and having him kiss his bare ass. Um, we had, <clears throat> we watched him actually, there was a, uh, his own daughter, Stephanie McMahon was pregnant in real life. And you can find this where she admits that when she was pregnant. So in a lot of like shows, you have to like work in a pregnancy so in yeah. certain like sitcoms and stuff, they either acknowledge the pregnancy and have it be a part of the show, or they will hide it behind things, put different types of clothing on, do all kinds of stuff to do with the can with it. Vince's golden idea was that they were going to have Stephanie come on and reveal that he was the father. Disgusting. And I mean, I go, I get he's going for shock content, but that's, that's pretty far. So she, she, she's, she's like, I'm not doing that. I'm absolutely not doing that. It's disgusting. I'm not going to do that. And so his first answer afterwards, okay, we'll make Shane, your brother, the father. And she's like, no, that's, that's just as bad or worse. So it really tells you kind of a little bit more about where his head is. And this is a guy who's known for, you know, potty humor uh, he, he's an, he's a very abnormal person. So, I mean, I was digging into the man and trying to find certain things. I found interviews he did with Playboy magazine interviews. He's done with ESPN and clearly he did not have a good childhood. Uh, yeah. he had a, uh, his father, Vince McMahon senior was the original owner of the, what at, at that time was called the worldwide Federation, WWF. And his father was absentee. So he basically grew up with his mother in a trailer park. And uh, he had major self-confidence issues. He had several, um, well, he had, a, he had an evil stepfather. He claimed he was uh, sexually abused by his mother. He was physically abused by his father. He was um, molested by his older cousin, uh, he had a very warped upbringing, just a very warped upbringing. And, you know, I've worked in the wrestling business enough to know that most, most wrestlers, and I, this isn't a hyperbole, most wrestlers come from a pretty bad background. Um, yeah. Most of them come from broken homes. Um, what I, so they call baby faces and heels. So baby faces are the good guys, heels are the bad guys. One of the things that I I did learn from when I would be backstage is it typically was the reverse in the backstage. So a lot of the baby faces in the ring were more heels in the backstage and the heels backstage took themselves less seriously 
and they were actually, you know, like uh, heels out front. They did a great job of making people hate them, but backstage, they're usually pretty good guys and they're there for the business. And so with Vince McMahon, you know, he got to a certain point. He wanted to be like his dad and he got himself into the business and you're not, you're, it's like being with a traveling circus. You're, you're with a freak show. You're not with the normal people in the, in the world. And so yeah. this is something that we had to kind of parse through. How do you create a monster like Vince McMahon? And I think it, a lot of, in a lot of ways starts in childhood and it starts with a lack of fatherhood. And so if you actually go into, there's a lot of studies about, for example, prisoners in the, in the, in the prison system, it's ridiculous how many more like it's, it's, it's in the nineties percentage that come from broken homes or had no father. Fatherlessness is a deep destructive tool of the enemy to make us all into, you know, basically slaves to our vices. And that's what happened to him. And, and so you've got this man who's billions of dollars. He's got power. And I was saying this to my wife too. I was like, you know, like if you got a billion dollars is the first thing you want to do is to start running around for tail or is it, you know, like doing something good and taking some vacations and, and maybe helping your community and, you know, like creating jobs for people and other opportunities. I mean, that's where my head goes, but I mean, it's easy to say, cause I don't have that situation. But in, in comparison, so in comparison, when I'm here in Paraguay, you know, the average person here, so the minimum wage, the minimum monthly wage, not everybody's making the minimum monthly wage, but the, the minimum monthly wage is about 2.5 million Guaranis. So in Canadian dollars, it's about, it's about 500 bucks a month. And in US dollars, about $350 a month, right? So that's what people are living off of. So if you're making... If you're making, let's say, $3,000 a month or, or $5,000 a month, you're making 10 times what people are making uh, in, in, the, in the community. So there is that gap. And so it's not too far-fetched to say, it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot easier to be in the top one, you know, in the 1% in Paraguay than it is in Canada or the United States. But that purchasing power, that ability to kind of make grease the wheels, get things going. You have a lot more of that here. And so I, you know, I'm not completely far off, you know, like I'm not completely far off to say there's better things you can do with your time. There's better things you can do with your money. But Vince McMahon clearly is not a man of faith. Uh, he has booked himself in the past to have matches against God where he mocked God. Uh, he had him, him and him and his uh, son booked in a tag team match uh, against Shawn Michaels, who was a born again Christian and his tag team partner was God. So the basically Shawn Michaels comes to the ring and then they have a, a, a spotlight that just kind of tracked all the way to the ring as if God was his, his uh, tag team partner. The whole thing was a mockery and Shane won Shane and, and Vince Munn. So, so he booked himself to beat God. And then he, also, you know, like in the promos leading up to that, they, I don't know what church allowed him in, but they, he and his son went into a church and they cut a whole bunch of skits in the church, including where he uh, mocked um, 
Triple H who does a thing where he drinks a bunch of water and then he spits it in, in, in the air. And so he goes, who am I? And he takes the holy water font, pours it into his mouth and spits it into the air. So we're not talking about a really good person here. Um, clearly, there's some major flaws. Yeah. But he's when, not. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and and with performance, like, you know, you can have villains in performance and perform them morally. You can portray really evil actions. But the really big distinction, and uh, Father Ripperger makes this distinction quite well. And basically what it is is, if you're not committing a sin in the act of portraying an evil action, so you can portray sin without sinning, right? Mm -hmm. You can play your character as this narcissistic guy, you know, and, and put on an act and show, you know, yourself as a bad guy and not sin. But if Mm -hmm. you're committing blasphemous acts or sexual acts on camera as part of the act while doing that, you're also sinning. Yes. And so that distinction needs to be very clear. If you don't have that, um, you know, that boundary in yourself to understand the difference, if if you just see it as all the same, um, it's it's really it's really a dangerous place to be because you don't have a moral sense to guide you. Well, there's a there's an example of that. There's a show I believe is called Yellowstone, uh, starring yeah. Kevin Costner, and there was an actor on there who refused to make out with another woman because he felt like it wasn't appropriate with it. You know, he's a married man and he just didn't want to do it. So he's pretty much been blackballed in, in Hollywood since. And I mean, like there, you have some creative control. You can do certain things and I get it. He's portraying a sleazeball and he's the, the, you know, the evil boss Um, on this show. When I have guests on, I usually tell them ahead of time. I say, listen, you know, I don't mind if you drop an F bomb. If you, if you really, if it just comes out, it's fine. If it, you know, if you, if you, if you say, you know, if you, if you say uh, the S word, fine. Um, But please don't use any GDs or JCs. It's just, that's just, I'm, I'll, I'll, I will edit it out of the show and I won't invite you back on. And, um, you know, so for example, I had a, as Don Chaco, I had a, um, I had a storyline where my job was to take one of my guys who was on my bad guy team, on my heel team, and turn him babyface. So one of the ways that you turn a heel babyface is to have another heel, like, really wrong him. And then, you know, have him turn in the middle of the ring. I mean, again, it's like the, the quintessential example is Darth Vader on the Emperor at the end of Return of the Jedi. So in this case, I was up with a, um, I was with a, uh, uh, I, uh, the bookers that I had, the, the, the showrunners that I had for my show, they came to me and they're okay. We're going to turn Bloss, uh, this character, we're going to turn him baby face. I said, great. And you're going to do it. Fantastic. I can do a great job of that. And we had it where basically we had a tournament, came to the end of the tournament. And at the end of the tournament, it was basically my two guys that were the two finalists. So I was like, look, I won already. I mean, it's, it's over. I mean, it's, it's, it's mine. So, so I basically, I had an American and a Paraguayan. And to piss off the Paraguayan crowd, I told the Paraguayan, okay, uh, now I want you to lay down and take the pin, right? And he's not going to do it. And I was like, what do you, what do you, not, what do you mean you're not going to do it? You know, like I've, you, you throw yourself to the ground. That's, that's what you're going to do. And he, he wasn't going to do it. 
no, no. And the crowd's getting behind him like, no, turn, turn it down, turn it down. And they had it originally written that I was to say, I was the go home line on it was I was going to say, you're nothing but a stupid Paraguayan. And I said, no, I'm not going to say that line. And they said, uh, why not? I mean, that's going to get you heat. And I said, I have many reasons for not saying you're nothing but a stupid Paraguayan. First of all, I live in Paraguay and I live amongst Paraguayans. And also we are going to try and export the show, which we did export the show to other countries. And some of those other countries might think Paraguayans are dumb. And so they, they might, they, that, that line's not going to resonate with them the way that it would for the local crowd. And I said, look, but the thing that will piss off everybody is if I just say you're, you're my employee and you're nothing but a stupid employee. And, that, and then they're like, okay, great. And I, I used it and it worked. And it got everybody, like the reaction was just as good. And, you know, and, and, and if you look at the past, like when the Mr. McMahon character was the top heel in the company, the top baby face was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And everybody really liked Stone Cold because he was a guy who told his boss to shove it. Yeah. And so we were essentially recreating that same vibe. And But the thing is, is that Vince McMahon had with like Trish Stratus, like as I showed in the video package before, you know, he's making out literally in front of his wife who's pretending to be comatose. And I mean, they weren't, they were going to town. Like they were going to town. You could, in theory, I mean, you could, going back to what Father Ripperger said, you can do a lot of that stuff in innuendo. You can yep. do a lot of that stuff through suggestion. You could do a lot of that stuff off camera. And yep. we saw an example of that. Like she's coming out of his office. Her hair's all messed up. She's a little bit sweaty. Uh, yeah. Okay. Message received. Yeah. But he's booking himself and multiple times over and over and over again. And you get a new girl who comes into the show. And the first thing they do with Tori Wilson is how to make out, how to make out with, uh, with uh, Vince McMahon. Uh, to get the job. And so, you know, there is a blurring of the lines when we see this case right now, you know? So, so this is a man who already was worth a billion dollars. He could have retired. The guy's pressing 80. I think he might already be 80. So, so he doesn't need to do this. This is just pride. This is yeah. just pride at this point. He's, he needs to keep that control. He needs to have that power. And if you look at the way that he treats people, he fires He's fired people for being injured doing their job on his show. It, 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 I don't even think they had health care coverage until like 2019, maybe 2021, yeah. you know? And that was only after John Oliver shamed him on, on, on his show on HBO. So, you know, and I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of John Oliver, but I mean, at least he got something done there. And, yeah. you know, you look at it and you go, man, this is a publicly traded company. And this man has multiple NDAs, non-disclosure agreements with multiple people. And that's another thing that I see a lot of these days is this, this, this idea that somehow you can get somebody to sign an NDA and you can do anything you want to them because they can't tell anybody. And he got her to sign this NDA and the NDA attached to it was supposed to be a payout of $3 million. And yet somehow he talked her into saying, yeah, it's not going to be one payout. We'll do it in installments. And he only paid $1 million, and then he stiffed her on the rest. And it was a $1 million that was 
out of the company's coffers, which again is a misappropriation of funds. This is a publicly traded company. And yet he's paying, he's using this money to pay for his sex slave. And that's the thing that I look at and I go, man, oh man, like this is, this isn't your regular pedestrian, you know, accusation. This one's pretty darn serious. And I really hope he gets prison time for it. Although I'm not holding my breath because I haven't seen a lot of that kind of justice go on, especially for billionaires. You don't see a lot of billionaires in prison and this, this probably won't happen, but yeah. You know, it's it's not new. This isn't a new thing. Um, I, I brought up to you before we got on the show that that there's stories as old as time here for for uh, these powerful men abusing their power. I mean, even in the Bible, I mean, we we look at like I look at King David. So King David, who for the most part was a was a great man loved by God, and he fell, and he fell into adultery he he fell into his lusts he saw uh Bathsheba and uh he saw her bathing and then he basically needed to have her and then he worked out a plan to off her husband i mean yeah. this isn't just like a one-off thing you know like there the um it, it the difference between a venial sin and a mortal sin is you know you got to have the will to do it you got to know it's evil and you got to do it anyway and it's got to be grave. And this one fell into a absolute moral sin because he knew he'd done his evil and he did everything he could to cover it up. And that's what NDAs a lot of times show up. Like I've signed NDAs before. I've signed NDAs before because I've got, you know, publicly traded companies as my clients and I get information before it goes to the, to the market. And so I have to sign on these things because Otherwise, I mean, there's always that looming threat of insider trading. I'm not going to do it, but I mean, I don't understand. I, I completely understand why they would have me sign it, but I wouldn't sign it if all of a sudden it was like terms of my employment, you know, like that. I'm not going to say anything that I saw here. It's like, if you want me to sign this, then this is not the organization I want to be with. And, uh, you know, I don't think King David had uh, Bathsheba sign an NDA. But, like, it got worse with his son. So, you know, like, let's talk a little bit about what happened with King Solomon. This is a man who God gave a very gracious gift to. I mean, he basically said to him, you can have anything. And he says, I want to be the wisest person on earth. And he was. And he was. Like, Solomon was, like, beyond intelligent. He, yeah. and, and you could see it in his writings. But even then... Even with infinite wisdom, you you still can fall for your vices. And and E. Michael Jones has brought you know brought up many many times. He said that uh, you know, and I, I, he quotes somebody with this, but it, I think it's Saint Augustine. It might be Saint Augustine. He says like uh, uh, a man is a slave to his sin. A man is a slave to his vices. And so we see this all the time. I mean, like one of the biggest. Um, one of the biggest sins that, that, you know, if you ask a priest today, what is the thing that they hear the most? It's, it's pornography. It's pornography and uh, pollution. And so, you know, this is, this is a scourge. It's absolutely a plague in our society. And if you look at the texts that, that Vince McMahon wrote to this woman, which are provable. I mean, those are the, that text messages are extremely easy to prove. So it's not like she just crafted these things. Right. That's an easy piece of evidence to prove. So he said them. 
He said them. And I mean, this is a man who is clearly, clearly influenced by pornography, clearly influenced by his degeneracy. And, you know, it's clouding him. He's making terrible decisions and he's, lo- he's going to lose everything because of it. And um, you wanted to bring up too. Uh, so, you know, you wanted to bring up basically about how power and riches tend to magnify our vices. Do you want to maybe kind of dip into that yeah. a little bit? So, you know, for, for us, if, if we fall into a vice, you know, and I'm talking like people, you know, without huge amounts of means, no legal team behind them or anything like that. Yeah, we, yeah. we have to face the consequences pretty quickly, which helps in our decision-making process of how far we want to take our vices. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, you have power and riches. Now you have the ability to intimidate people into removing consequences. You have the ability to buy people off. So, like, when you look at an organization where the boss is basically completely corrupt, he doesn't get that way on his own. He gets that way through the tacit approval or silence of those around him, whether he's bought it from them or given them benefits to turn the other way or to join in with him. Um, Which we saw in this. Yeah, and the failure of... In this situation, Vince McMahon, I mean, we can kind of extrapolate what's been happening with leadership around the world when, you know, we all we all know enough about Epstein and and how many people that that touches to realize that this problem of corruption, of blackmailability, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. is is out there where our godless leadership value people who are easy to blackmail. And easy people to blackmail are people with secrets, evil, dark secrets. Mm-hmm. So, so people are selling their souls basically for this power and wealth. Um, so it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people involved. And, and our, so I guess, you know, when I was thinking about what to talk about today, and we discussed it a bit, there's a failure as individuals who commit these acts there's a failure of the surrounding community around them, of their families, a failure of churches, of bishops to speak out, and a failure on society for what we're willing to allow to become mainstream. Right? Like there used to be, you know, um, E. Michael Jones, of course, and you talked about decency laws. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and decency laws, of course, um, are there to to sort of protect the dignity of the culture to avoid people from being corrupted, to help protect children's innocence. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the fact that I was watching some of this stuff uh, on WWF at, you know, 12 through 18 years old, that has an effect on your formation, whether you, you like it or not. It's It has an effect on what moral standards you have, who you look up to. And the fact that um, I'm not saying, you know, to blame society for everything. I'm saying, you need a, a holistic view of all the problems. And so when we're looking at a situation like this, I guess what I want to do is show as an individual, how do you fall into this? As a society, how do you allow this? And then bring it all back to what can I do personally exactly. to make the situation better? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, because like my wife and I will go through and rewatch 
you know, shows or movies that we watched in our childhood. So, um, for example, E.T. was one of the most popular movies of all time and was a huge success when I was a kid. And I go back and I rewatch it and I, I watched it with my kids thinking it was safe. And it's not. It's, yeah. it's just not. Like there's so many things wrong with E.T. that like, I mean, they, they <clears throat> like there's a sequence. Uh, I already told my kids ahead of time not to li- not to listen to this show. Uh, but there's a sequence <laughs> where. Where like the older, I don't know if it's the younger brother or the older brother calls one of the the other ones penis breath. Yeah. Steven Spielberg thought that was a good idea to put that term into a movie for kids. What does that mean if a boy is saying that to another boy? Yeah. What is that? And so what's interesting too is we've got this weird dynamic. So we've got this weird dynamic where uh, we had this push against slut shaming. And when I was growing up and I was a teenager, we definitely had virgin shaming. So for example, you had the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin, you had American Pie. That was a big topic in teen movies was, uh-oh, uh-oh, I can't graduate high school without having, you know, having yeah. fornicated. And, and that was just commonplace. You had movies like... Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Did you ever see that one when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Fast Times yeah. at Ridgemont High completely normalizes abortion. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, and so you got this, so you got this time now where we're like, okay, we can't slut shame. We can't slut shame. You know, we've got to be sex positive. And so what they'll do is they, so for example, you've got like OnlyFans, which has tricked women into putting their body out online and putting their sexuality online. And that stuff's permanent. It's just permanent. You can't get rid of it. Somebody's got it. It's out there forever. And you've now stained yourself for life. And um, yet you can't, you can't, you know, you you can't speak out against it. And yet at the same time, the same people who are championing that and championing uh, legal prostitution or championing like a Taylor Swift or, or somebody who dress or, or, or Cardi B or somebody who is singing about their sexuality being really, you know, really immodest, really disgusting about it. Can't talk about that. But then you move over into like video games and all of a sudden in video games, you can't hypersexualize women. So all of a sudden, all the, the animation is different, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, we can't find that happy medium. We can't find that happy medium. And it's like, <clears throat> I'm trying to teach my kids. Uh, you know, like I live in a very, I live in a subtropical country. It's very hot. It's 41 degrees Celsius today here. It's hot. And um, uh, in the hot climate, you know, women, men, no, especially women, don't dress modestly. They are, you know, dressing extremely scantily, <laughs> scantily clad. And it's going to be around you. So if you're teaching your son or if you're teaching your daughter, so first, first thing you tell your daughter is don't dress like that, please. Like we're going to, you know, like have some dignity to your son. It's like, you know, we talk about custody of the mind and custody of the eyes. And so, you know, I have to, because you can't nerf the world. You can't turn everything off. You can't put 
horse blinders on your kids every time you're driving or doing anything in public. So you're going to need to teach your sons how to live in a world that's doing this without falling into uh, falling into sin, falling into degeneracy. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, there there was a lot. So, for example, sex ed in schools, you know, that was if you didn't go and take sex ed in school, you were a loser and you would get shamed by everybody else. Like, oh, you're you're a you're a Luddite. You're a total prude or blah, blah, blah. So I was always into this in the sex ed classes and they'd have question period or question box and they were to answer all these things. And the general message was, you know, to, to be hypersexualized, uh, that masturbation is health, not, not just even like, okay, but it's like actually profitable for you. It's like, it's, it's like a good idea. It's like, it's, it'll prevent cancer or do all this kind of stuff. It's just complete garbage science, complete garbage yeah. lies. Well, and you look and, at the history of where that ideology behind sex ed came from. Mm-hmm. It had, I mean, it goes all the way back to, uh, oh, I forget the guy's name, German, a German social scientist. But basically, they ran experiments to see what they could do to kind of lower the modesty, especially of women, because it's harder yeah. to wear that down. Um, I, you keep talking. I'm going to remember yeah. his name. <laughs> and so the what they found was if they had one how should we say a looser female discussing Mm -hmm. publicly um, things about sex, that it would lower the modesty of the surrounding people. And further to that Kinsey, that, that pervert scientist. Yeah. um, They basically, he, he understood that if you discussed sex to children in a purely biological manner and, and exclude morality from it, that you could also wear down, people's modesty and sense of what was appropriate. And, and for these people to do this, we have to understand there's an element of a, of a psyop in all of this. And, and some people might think, oh, that's just conspiracy. But what they've done, and in, in one situation I've heard of in, uh, in, I believe it's in Palestine, they had a curfew. And what they would do is they would play inappropriate or pornographic videos yeah. on the airways that was in Ramal and uh, E. Michael Jones has talked about that, where basically yeah. they were forced to watch pornography on their television shows because they took over the Israeli uh, Israeli government took over their their um, broadcast system. And basically yeah. the only thing that they could have in their on their television. And it was not just softcore. It was hardcore pornography being played 24 seven to yeah. demoralize them. And we hear that word demoralization. Break it down to demoral, to take away your morals, you know, and, and, and so that, that is a, it's clearly a weapon. It's clearly a weapon. And what it does, especially to men, because we are very much more prone to, to this temptation is if you're living a, a life addicted to pornography or addicted to anything, you're not going to rally up the virtue to stand up against evil say the evil of a dictatorship, you're not going to join with your fellow man or put that effort in. It empties you of your masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this brings us to one of the main reasons why a lot of these powerful or wealthy people fall into such corruption and depravity is because wealth and power very easily make you effeminate. And I'm going to do another callback yeah. to Father Ripperger 
because the technical definition of effeminate is preferring that which is pleasurable over that which is arduous and necessary. Basically meaning if you have a choice between doing the hard work that you need to do to get some good for those around you and may involve self-sacrifice, you're going to instead choose chilling out, relaxing, or having a couple beer and taking it easy. That's like a very basic summary of what being an effeminate man is. Mm-hmm. Oh, by it's, the way, uh, going yeah. back to that German scientist, it was Wilhelm oh. Reich. Wilhelm Reich okay, was the yeah. name of that. Yeah. And then yeah. another one that you can look into is Magnus Hirschfeld. There's some pretty bad, pretty bad actors that uh, got us through the 60s in the free love area. But yeah, going back to going going back to effeminacy, I mean, like looking at that from a fatherhood standpoint, I mean, look at how much fatherlessness we have. Look at how many abortions we have. These are people who, again, don't want to do which is better, but is hard or arduous. They see an abortion as an easy way out. They see, you know, going out for a pack of cigarettes and never coming back as an easy way out. You know, deadbeat fathers and stuff like that. This is not something that was commonplace, you know, 150 years ago. This is this is yeah. recent. And yeah. this was by design. And <clears throat> going back to as well, when you're talking about dealing with children and getting them, you know, hypersexualized early. I mean, there are literally in Europe right now where they will have in classrooms, in kindergartens, teaching the kids how to touch themselves and having an, a, a, a private room for them to go to, to quote unquote, explore themselves. And this is, this is so insidious. Yeah. And, and at the same time too, I mean, so, I mean, I, I like to bring up different rule books. Our, our society has different rule books. Find me that in the Bible. You will not find any of that stuff in the Bible, but I can find it for you in the Talmud. And I can find it. I can find instances of these kind of things in not exactly in the Quran, but in other Islamic writings, especially with Muhammad and um, his his child bride. Yeah, Aisha. Yeah. And so, you know, and one of the theories that is put forth by some of these people who follow the other rule book is that they have they have this wrong idea that somehow once uh, a youth has engaged in sexual activity, they are instantly mature and become an adult. And that's why a lot of times you'll see some really degenerate stuff at like bar mitzvahs, uh, bat mitzvahs. um, And even still, even like, even in Catholic countries, like, so for example, here um, you have what's called the quinceanera which is the 15th birthday party. And they spend more on quinceaneras than they do on weddings. Like these things, people will mortgage houses just to pay for one day, for one birthday party to keep up with the Joneses. And the original intent of the quinceanera was to present your daughter to the socialites and say, she's now open, open game. You know, like she's, she's, she's now available to, you know, get in there. And at the same time, I mean, like, you know, if you look back in time, if you look in the 1800s, you had younger marriages. I think the average age of a married couple was 21, but that was the average. It wasn't uncommon to have 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds get married. And to be honest with you, if they're, if in that time period, if that was, if your life expectancy wasn't as long 
and there's a peak fertility and you're married and it's I, I prefer that to teenage pregnancies and what we're dealing with in the in the now and going back to the, the the argument for sex ed all the time was you know abstinence only education was supposedly you know uh only going to lead to uh just one second here i gotta get that shut off uh that that was somehow only going to oh, knock it off okay i'm gonna have to cl- close whatever is on that is giving me those uh, you gotta go away yeah, there we go. All right. There we go. <laughs> so I got one of my viewers. It was a, you can you can comment on the screen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, this is the thing that I've noticed is is that um, is uh, we're moving away from the purpose of of marriage. You know, we're, we're like there was this weird flip. So um, if if you're interested in the Catholic teaching on marriage, I, I like to point people towards Casti Canubi, uh, which I believe was written by Pope Pius XI. Um, I think it was written by him. It might have been written by Pope Leo XIII, but I'm pretty sure it was, you know, in that era. And uh, it's very good teaching. It's very good teaching on, um, on uh, the purpose of marriage. And so, you know, the, the true purpose of marriage is to... To really boil it down, your your job is to repopulate heaven with souls, right? Is is the procreative to raise to 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 raise a child and to raise them and form them so that they can uh, be a part of of the church, can be a part of of the of the the communion with saints, and be and basically raise them to get to heaven. We're not doing that very good. Right? We're just no. not doing that very well at all across society. I'm down here and divorce rate is huge. Divorce rate yeah. is off the chart. This is a Catholic country. People are divorced all over the place. And it's sad. It's sad because the thing is, is that we've lost our way. We've lost our compass. It might be hard to stay in a marriage that's miserable. It might be hard to, to be, uh, to, 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 to be in a position of power like Vince McMahon and people are throwing themselves at you and just to say no. I mean, I, sure. I've said this before. I actually think I, I had, I'm not a big fan of the guy, but I admire Mike Pence's stance on being alone with a woman that isn't his wife. So he, he just won't do it. He won't do it. And it's, 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 it's a good idea, especially in this day and age. It's better than an NDA. And, uh, you know, I don't like this idea that we just are supposed to accept that men of power or boys will be boys or, you know, like, oh, you're just jealous because you can't can't get that kind of thing. It's like, ah, uh, it's not that hard. It's not it, it, if, if somebody wanted to cheat, they can cheat and we should be teaching people not to. I don't think that's a very controversial stance uh and it's really weird that we're at that point but going back to effeminacy goes back as well to to even just the use of pornography and and if you look at pornography i mean uh trying to teach about why it's bad you know it's like well you're taking something that is a unitive practice a unitive engagement with your wife and you're turning it back in on yourself. It's 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 empty. It goes nowhere. And you're 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 you are a, you are an adulterer 
when you're doing that. I know that people don't like hearing that, but you are. Jesus said straight up, if you look at another woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery. You just, you just have. And, well, you know, we've lost that teaching. Yeah. And, and it's pornography use is one of the most effeminate things you can do in the sense that you're trying to take the pleasure with none of the hard work, responsibility or duty that goes along with it. Yeah. Um, I know I've, I've talked to some people and, and one explanation I've used for this is, uh, you know, you take any appetite, like say your appetite for eating Mm -hmm. and you feed it nothing but sugar. There's going to be negative consequences, right? Your health's going to go down. You're going to get fat. You're it's, you're going to have, you know, low energy, blah, blah, blah. Pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. So then what's the purpose of eating? Well, of course it's nutrition. So Mm -hmm. some food won't taste as good or things like that. Or you might have to put more work into preparing your food or finding healthy food. Mm -hmm. But if you put that hard work in, you get the better result of the purpose of what that appetite is drawing you to. The Mm -hmm. same thing with our, you know, if you want to call it our sexual desire is if you feed it nothing but sugar, you feed it nothing but perversity, it's going to have very negative consequences. And then if you, if you take away the main purpose of it, which is obviously procreation and you use it for something other than that, you're, you're in, you're going to become a very unhealthy person. And because it's so closely unique or uh, united to who we are as a person, it's also very closely united to how we relate to our spouse. And it's also um, the power of our sexuality to join in the creation of a new human being with an eternal soul. The greater the power, the greater the good of something, if it's even twisted a little, the greater the evil that comes from it. So this Pandora's box of the sexual revolution that they opened, we're seeing the consequences everywhere with rampant STDs, with uh, uh, abortions on demand, with uh, marriages falling apart, families falling apart, entire generations being ruined of children who do not have the stability. I mean, this this goes back to also what you're talking about with uh, Vince's troubled childhood. Um, there's a very good book I highly recommend called Architects of the Culture of Death. And each chapter is focused on a different atheistic thinker who's been highly influential on our society. Uh, everyone from Nietzsche, Darwin, Schopenhauer. Um, I forget a few of the the topics, but but basically they looked at how they were raised, what their philosophy was, how they lived their philosophy, and how they died. And what the common theme through the book was these thinkers often had a terrible relationship with their father or an absent father, which led often to their atheism, because, of course, our first impression of God comes from our parents. Absolutely. And and if the parent is absent then it's hard to form an understanding of who God is. And well, you see, we, that, yeah. okay, so you see that a lot in the culture now, too. I mean, like, if you look at sitcoms, cartoons, the attack on the commercials, the attack on fathers has been pretty standard for quite a while now. Yeah. And I've, I've brought this up to other people. I mean, if you make dad an idiot in every show, in every 
in everything, <clears throat> you are basically, um, you, you, what you're doing is you're, you're devaluing fatherhood. And the father is also a representative of, you know, because basically if you look at the hierarchy in the family, you've got God, dad, mom, kids, yeah. other people. And so, you know, um, if you mock dad in every way, you're in a way mocking God, not directly, but you're indirectly planting the seeds for somebody. And I, this is why I have a problem with Santa Claus lore or um, Easter Bunny, uh, those kind of things, because what it does is it basically is training kids to know your parents are liars and they're lying to you. And if they're lying to me about this, then are they lying to me about God? And it's these kind of seeds that get planted that can really do damage, you know, over the long haul. It's, it's a tough one because it's like, you know, you, you want to do what you can. But uh, we got a comment here. Paraguay also has the social debut in social clubs like Centenario and Sajonia. Basically, a mass quinceanera at 16, as the name suggests, is basically putting the girls up for open season. I don't know how healthy that is. That's just that's, that's not very healthy. I mean, but in line with that too, like you're, you're left with, um, how do I put it? Like, it's why the fourth commandment is the fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother. It is the bridge between the first three about God. And -hmm. then the other ones about how you relate to other people. Yeah. It is the close. Yeah, and the higher, or sorry, the first commandment, of course, is the most serious one to break. And as you go down, they become less serious. There's a hierarchy to the commandments. The bridge between God and the and your fellow man is honor thy father and mother. It's and that's a and tough one for people. Yeah. That's a really mm-hmm. tough one for people. Um, I've I've met a lot of people who were converting, and they've had horrible childhoods, and you know, and I feel for them. I I, I thankfully did not have a horrible childhood. I had, I had very supportive, loving parents. I still have loving and supporting parents. And I, and it was a great example. And I try to pass it along to my kids. My wife had loving and supporting parents um, and still has uh, a loving and supporting father. So, so the thing is, is that, you know, that is going to hopefully get passed along. And it, but at the same time, if somebody can't come into the church, forgive and this is a tough one. Forgive your parents for the evils that they've done. You know, Father, forgive me for they know not what they do. There is, there's a difference between, you know, there's a difference between, how do I put this? If you grew up in an abusive relationship, I mean, totally abusive from your parents, breaking all kinds of trusts and sinning immensely, <clears throat> if you can find a way to overcome and at least forgive them and and forgive them to the point where you don't hate them, that's, that's key. You don't have to, once you're an adult, you don't have to have them integral in your life. You want to have that as a goal, but you don't have to, you're not obliged to, if they're going to continue with abusive behavior. However, however, for a lot of people, that is a big, big stumbling, ro- stumbling 
uh, rock, you know, stumbling stone for them to, to get over. And for a lot of people, that's, that's too much. That's just too much to overcome. And if father Rippiger's talked about that, he's had, he's dealt with people who were possessed, who were uh, abused by their parents who were Satanists. And it wasn't until he was able to get them to be able to forgive their parents for what they did, that the, that the possession ended. And to the point where this was a particular woman that she's like, I can't, I don't know how. And he, he instructed her. Yeah. You're not capable of doing it, but you can only do it with, with, with Jesus Christ, with, with his help. You, you can put that onto Jesus and be like, please help me with this situation. And so I look back and I've, I've heard enough already. Um, Stephanie. So, so the two prominent uh, kids of the McMahon family are Shane McMahon and Stephanie McMahon. Shane McMahon has gone away and come back a few times, but it, what I've heard, and again, I'm not trying to colonize and I'm not trying to murmur, but I'm, I'm trying to tack this on to what the topic is, is that Shane stood up to his father in front because he was in with the executives and with the boards and, and with those kind of things. And he, was basically being taught to do the game, just like his dad. His dad really wanted him to be a degenerate, just like him. And he stood up to his father, and he denied it. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to go like that at all. And he ended up leaving the job. I mean, talk about it. Like, you're the, ne- you're the heir apparent. You're, you're the one who stands to gain. You've got Vince Sr., Vince Jr., and then Shane. You're the next in line. You're, you're, you're Prince William. And he walked away and actually went as far away as he could. He went to China and worked in China to basically help them build the Netflix of China. But he did stand up to his father, allegedly, in front of all these other guys saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be like you. And I'm not going to treat my wife the way you treated mom. Yeah. Stephanie McMahon it was very high up in the organization. The allegations came in, and she immediately resigned from her position. Again, heir apparent was supposed to be the next in line because Shane was gone. And she said, I'm out. And then he was forced to resign. This was last year. He was forced to resign, left the company. Everybody celebrated. Ding dong, the witch is dead. And then uh, he, because he was the largest shareholder in the company, weaseled his way back in got himself back on the board, became the executive chairman again, and she left the job again. And then now that this has come out, uh, he has resigned and she's been asked to come back. But what I had, I'm on good authority to say is that uh, it's been said that she has blocked him from the family. He's not to see his grandchildren and he is not to, um, to take part. Like he, he's, he's not, he's not involved anymore. She wants nothing to do with him. And I find that interesting. I had a friend of mine who was asking me, he's a recent convert, sadly not Catholic, but Christian convert coming in from atheism, from communist atheism. He came in from East Germany. And so he, he, he's coming in from, from communist atheism and he has trouble with the Bible on certain parts. And I mean, the Bible's not easy. You need it. You need it. You need a Philip to explain it to you. That's what I always say to people. You need it. You're, you're the Ethiopian. You need it. You need a Philip. And he was bringing up about 
I want to say Sarah, Sarah, what? No, Rebecca. Which one was the mom of Esau and Isaac? Is it Sarah oh, you, or Rebecca? You test me. I think it's Sarah. Yeah, I think it's Sarah. So basically, you know, there's not very many points of the Bible that encourage deception. And in the story of Isaac and his brother, his brother was supposed to be the heir apparent, although God had told them ahead of time that the younger born will be the one that gets the blessing and the older will serve the younger. And so earlier Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of pottage of lentils to his brother. He shouldn't have done that, but he did it. It's an effeminate choice. A very (laughs) effeminate choice. Yeah, he was hungry. And and so he uh, later, then there was a deception. I want to say it was Sarah. I want to say it was Sarah, not Rebecca. But, um, and you know, it's like, yeah, he gets the blessing and his, his line continues and Esau has to serve him later on. And people go, but the mom like deceived, you know, like she helped in the deception. And it's like, yeah. And she paid the price. Think about it. She didn't get to see her sons again, ever. Her sons went away and she died without seeing them again. Not got, didn't get to take part in it. Didn't get to be around her grandkids. Uh, you know, uh, and he ended up like the deceiver ended up having Isaac ended up having to go and serve this other father-in-law and marry the wrong woman and go through all this, this whole ordeal. So, I mean, he didn't get it easy either, you know, so there was a punishment attached. And so I'm really hoping in the case of Vince McMahon, there is a punishment attached. I was talking about this with a friend and he was saying, oh, you know, they'll just buy his shares from him and force him out of the company. I go, that's not a good enough punishment at all. If you buy the shares from him, he gets money. Right now, his money is tied up in shares. But if he gets, you know, he has, gets his, his shares forced sold. So there's actually laws. There's actually laws in the SEC uh, in place for situations like this, especially if he's using company funds to pay his own legal expenses that are caused by his own personal vices so that they can actually shrink or delete his shares. I want him to have nothing. I want him to have nothing. I want him to serve time in prison because what he did was criminal, allegedly. We'll see how it goes in the, in the, in the I hope it goes to court. I'm not sure if it will, but I hope it goes to court. <clears throat> but it comes back to, um, we're talking about rich and powerful people with their you know influence and money. But blessed be the poor. And it makes you wonder sometimes if it is better to be poor, uh, to have to struggle in life and to have to learn how to not be effeminate. You can't really be effeminate and poor. It doesn't really work so well. It gets worse for you. I mean, you can, but it's a, it's a, it's a one-way road to hell. You know, you're, you're going to have a real bad time. Uh, did you want to flush that out a little bit more about, uh, you know, the blessing of being well, poor? Yeah, Um so when you're rich and wealthy, right? Like you can, like we said earlier, you can buy uh, away your consequences at least temporarily. Temporarily, I mean, all, yeah. When we die, that's that's it. And Can't take it with God, you. Yeah, yep. God reveals you as you are to yourself, and you will yep. fully acknowledge and accept the judgment God gives you. That's there's no avoiding that, right? But in this world the the rich and powerful and and it's 
it's very much like uh, drug use where you're, you're trying to control artificially how you feel. Sure, you feel great. Your life's falling apart. Do another line of Coke and, and you know, all your problems disappear in your mind and you feel like you can take on anything. For like 90 but, minutes. Yeah. yeah, but it's completely distorted. Yeah. Your view of reality. And so as things are crumbling, you're missing that. The feedback loop that God built into reality where sin the consequences to sin are always built into the sin. Mm -hmm. And if you don't face those, now you don't have a feedback loop to try and correct your life. Well, going back to even the, going back to even the pornography and masturbation aspect, right? I mean, you, you, you ask anybody who has, who suffers from that vice and it's like, yeah, is it, is it a temporary pleasure or is it permanent and lasting? And does it actually benefit you in the long run? No, everybody feels guilty. And horrible and disgusting afterwards. And, and the shame because, is part of yeah. the natural, naturally built in um, consequence to it. Well, God's so, law is written on your heart. And that's, yeah. that's a perfect example of it. And it's yeah. interesting too. There's, and I've brought this up before, but the, the, I, there's that old wives tale, you know, it's like, oh, don't, you know, don't do that or else you'll go blind. It's kind of true. Because. Yeah. The thing is, is to see you're not you're maybe not going to go vis- visually blind, but you will go spiritually blind, and people will make excuses for their for their vices, excuses for their sins, and this is one of them. People will make excuses all the time. Oh, you know, you're being you're, you're not being sex positive. You're you're slut shaming. You're doing all this kind of stuff. Like let let people enjoy things. No. <laughs> no. You know, if you love somebody, you want to make sure that they don't go to hell. I, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. If you really love somebody, they say love your enemy, love your neighbor. Yeah. I don't want them to go to hell. Oh, you can't judge somebody. Jesus said to not judge. Can we parse that a bit? I mean, yeah. You know, he's he, yeah, he does say uh, you know, it, you don't complain about your your neighbor's speck in his eye when you got a moat or a log in your eye. And it's like, yeah, I get that. You want to go in on that, but you still don't want to let your friend go to hell. Yeah, That's really what it comes down to. You just don't want your friends to go to hell. And you don't want your enemies to go to hell either. You know, it, it, that's a tough one. That's just almost up there with forgiving your abusive parents. But like, you know, I, I've said to people before, it's like, I got to pray for Pierre, or sorry, for Justin Trudeau. Why would you pray for Justin Trudeau? Well, imagine that guy had a baby face turn. Imagine that guy had a, a, a click in his conscience and all of a sudden started to realize the evil that he was purveying, the evil that he was spreading. You know, this is a man who legalized euthanasia. This is a man who has uh, basically made it illegal to to be realistic about biological sexes. This is a man who who has twisted everything. He's also a man who got fired in the middle of a school year at West Point Gray Academy uh, in the weirdest way. And there are news stories out there, if you look hard enough, that find that he also dealt with an NDA and potentially a a hush money settlement uh, to an underaged uh, student. And so we're looking at these things and we're going, man, you know, like if you can stop a monster for being a monster – that's a good thing. Like that's a really yeah. good thing. And so that's my logic when I look into it and I go, yeah, I'm going to pray for my enemies because I don't 
even want them to go to hell. That's what it means to love God. That's what charity means. You know, charity, charity is not just like, you know, when they say, you know, love thy neighbor, it's not like I got to go over there and hold their hand and watch a romantic comedy. You know, I, it means I want them to, because God doesn't want to lose that soul. And so you you, want the greatest good for them possible, which is God himself in heaven. That's what love is, is willing that, which is, you know, the best thing for the other person. And that's where we confuse, you know, this compassion with love that uh, we're afraid to call people out who are doing evil things because we might hurt their feelings. That's a false compassion. That's not love, right? Like one of the, it's also effeminate. It's effeminate to not tell them. Easier. It's more comfortable to get along with people, to have that temporary sense of peace in the relationship rather than, you know, I told, I tell my kids, I'm like, you want friends who are going to challenge you. You don't want Mm -hmm. friends who are going to agree with everything you say. It's exactly. And, and of course being rich and wealthy, you surround yourself with sycophants very, very quickly. You get yes men, you get people who will not challenge your decision-making and it's so because you don't have that natural feedback loop of people criticizing what you're doing, warning you about the risks. Um, you you again lose a sense of reality on what you're doing, how evil it is. Well, it um, speaks to pride too. I mean, yep. you know, like so, pride is an is an inflated estimation of oneself, and it is also something where I know better than God. That's really what you're saying. You know, I mean, the first the first sin was pride. When Lucifer said, "I will not serve," right, and not, uh, and so, so, it, you know, surrounding yourself with sycophants, it, it plays into, it, it really plays into narcissism, and and you want that feedback. You, and and what's interesting about diabolical narcissism or or just even temporal narcissism is it it is uh, it's a self hatred masked with a false self love. Yeah. And so they go deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole, looking, chasing that dragon's tail, looking for that next high, looking for that next thing that says to them, no, you're okay. You don't have to change a thing. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I mean, I looked at the response from Vince McMahon and it was typical. He denies it. He's, uh, he, he's going well, to. He denied any intentional wrongdoing. <laughs> yeah he's good at his words he was probably yeah. coached on that one right because it's clear he wrong he wronged her and yeah i've seen some pretty harsh takes where people are like well she's just looking for money and she just wanted her money it's like no there's a there's a missing justice here money yeah. doesn't cover and, justice and she there is a very likely possibility that you know she cooperated with it enjoyed the money and went along with it for a while and then but I don't, I don't know what was going on behind closed doors. But all the same, the abuse of power, authority, and money, and and wealth uh, has magnified this this scandal, this deviancy by by quite a bit. Well, it was it was laced with threats right from the get go. Yeah. I mean, you know, like he was telling her right away, like I, if I need to shut somebody down, I shut somebody down, and I got the legal power to do it. I mean, the guy put her legal into the legal department at first. Like yeah. literally put her into the legal department at first. Like that's brazen. <laughs> that's really brazen. But at the same time, it's like, you know, this is a person who's being groomed, who's been manipulated. 
you know, yeah. right from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the thing too. And it goes back to fatherhood. A good father would have warned her about these kind of predators. Mm-hmm. And if, and if, and if he didn't, if there are good fathers listening to this show or catching the replay, you got to teach your daughters that, that, that billionaire who seems to take a liking to you, who th- likes your ideas and wants to, to, to make sure you have a career and all that kind of stuff like that. It's a mirage. Yeah. It's a mirage. He doesn't care. I dealt with this in Vancouver all the time. When I was in Vancouver, a lot of my clients publicly traded companies and every one of them had a very attractive woman at the front desk uh, who, you know, if I had to go and pick up my checks, if I had to go pick up my checks at a, at a desk in Vancouver, it was, it was rough, man. Cause the thing is, is like, you're standing up here. She's sitting down here. Generally speaking, she's wearing something low cut. So you got cleavage in your face. She's going to do all this other stuff. She knows what she's doing. Unfortunately, she's been taught wrong. This is the way that it's going to go. You got to avert your eyes. But if you're averting your eyes too much, you come across as a creep, but you're, I don't care. I don't care if you don't, if you don't like that, I don't want to look uh, if I have to take custody of my eyes, I don't care. I don't yep. care. I, I respect my mother. I respect my sister. I respect my daughter. I respect my wife enough that I'm not going to go down that route. It's just not going to happen. Yep. It sounds like I'm purity spiraling, which I've been accused of quite accurately a few times in the past, but it's true. This is what we are not teaching our daughters properly. I mean, you're, there are these women that are going in there, going, getting told by their mothers, you got to put it out there. That's how you're going to succeed. That's how you're going to find a husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll find a husband, all right, but it's going to be a Vince McMahon type husband. Yeah, you know, well, it's, it's gonna... similar. I, I've talked to you guys who are like, I can't find a good woman, you know, and and they they find women that they find attractive physically, but they're like, yeah, but they're all they're all crazy. And I said, well, where are you looking? They're like, well, you know, I go to the club, I go to the bar. And I said, have you ever tried taking a cooking class or? going uh to church yeah and just I always tell people what, go to church what yeah. type of quality of of woman with morals with uh that that you would find right that's yeah. that's where you know again that's that effeminate man trying to find women who will give what they want uh easily i mean it's also a lie of feminism that they can take ownership of their sexuality without consequence well, of course we have consequences and unfortunately babies p- pay for that consequence of enjoying the pleasure of the act with their lives. Yeah. And they, the people involved in this will pay sometimes with ruined relationships, ruined sense of self, ruined, you know, even physically they get STDs. There's all these different consequences that come into this from oh, yeah. choosing the pleasure without the consequence. And, and the consequences will creep through. And, you know, like we, you were saying, you know, blessed be the poor. Um, there's a blessing God gives to the poor in the sense that <clears throat> you don't have the opportunity to let your vices take over. Um, I tried explaining this to my kids because, you know, growing up in Canada, we have a pretty comfortable life considering when you compare to people who have lived through all of history. We're in the minority of a comfortable life. And you don't have to work for your survival. So your problems have to do with your comforts and being, you know, 
you're, you know, you have to go to the store to pick up some milk and you don't want to because you're tired. Well, that's not a survival problem. That's a comfort problem. But True. you don't have to go out and milk the cow because the whole family's relying on that for their food for the next, you know, few days. That's a different problem. That's a survival problem. So the the intensity of the consequences helps you stay virtuous, helps you stay on track, helps you do what is right, even though it's not pleasurable all the time. Well, like yeah. that was part of the fall, right? So part of the yeah. fall was that Adam had to work by the sweat of his back, you know, like he had to work, you know, we can't avoid work with mean, people who avoid work and are wealthy and, you know, basically make money off of things like usury, they're, they're going to be inherently miserable yeah. because deep down they know they're contributing nothing. They know that they're a parasite on the society because they're not making things. They're just taking things or they're yeah. making other people do their work for them. And, and they're so, devaluing everyone else's work. <laughs> totally. They are yeah. totally. They are. And so the thing is, is that, you know, going back to Vince McMahon and how do we prevent this? I don't know. I, I don't know because the thing is, is unfortunately, you know, he sh- he has shown in his actions that he has uh, he has demonstrated. Um, I'm, I'm looking for the word uh, sociopathy, narcissism, and in a form psychopathy. And yeah. unfortunately, like in the song that I played at the beginning, is "Stand Back." He, he, you know, the whole thing, he wrote those lyrics and the whole thing is just this vindictive, vile thing. He's like, you know, telling about how he's, you step up to me, I'm going to crush you. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's in his heart. That's the way he's, that's the way he's operating. And we are currently in a system that I want to say rewards temporally psychopath, psychopathy. We are led by psychopaths. Uh, we yeah. are ruled by psychopaths. In a lot of ways, we are owned by psychopaths. Psychopaths will promote other psychopaths because it, it, going back to the Epstein stuff, these people use blackmail because they themselves have been blackmailed. And so it's like, okay, it's like if you go, if you want to become a bike in a biker gang, you know, like the Hells Angels or something, one of the first things they make you do is commit a murder in front of another uh, in front of another member so that they yeah. can see that you've murdered somebody and it has to be somebody it. completely random. And the reason why they do that is because they know that they had to do that to get into the group before. So the guy who's with you has killed someone, you know, this is, this is, this is also their way of preventing, let's say, undercover police officers from getting in or something like that. And some of them still find their way in, but this is their protection mechanism. It's evil protecting evil. And so if you look at the way that Vince McMahon did it, the first thing he did when he got back on the board is he rehired all of his protectors, all of the guys that were all the guys and gals that were completely behind him and protecting him. And I hope there's an investigation on that. I hope that they, they basically look at the guilt by association and go, okay, where there's smoke, there's fire. Let's take a look. Let's take a look and let's see where this went. And you know, we will see that over time, but you know, justice is God's. It's not ours. It's God's justice is, is for God. And so even though, even though it's super disheartening, 
in some ways demoralizing to have these types of people get away with their most depraved activities. It seems like they get away with it, but they don't. In the end, they don't. It might seem like it, but they don't. You know, didn't we just have Henry Kissinger die? Uh, just recently, we had uh, you know Ruth, Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and these people, yeah, they they know now, <laughs> yeah. they know now, and, and, uh, and our job is, I mean, you know, if they pop into your head, say a prayer for them, for for mercy on them, but at the same time, like, you know, how do we fix this? Well, it it's each individual. We forget the power we have as individuals. One, choose choose your entertainment wisely. If no one's watching it, no one's going to make it. Yep. After a while, right? Choose yep. your, uh, <clears throat> you know, in the workplace, be a stand-up person, even if it means taking that risk of, you know, like if you know something corrupt is happening at work, being, silence mean, being silent means being complicit. Oh, um, that, actually, that yeah, I have a personal experience with that. My father and I were both let go on the same day from the company that we were working for. And it was because my dad was an honest player and did did things honestly. I mean, he uh, had a, a situation with a powerful group that the our company was dealing with. And um, we had to open up our file room and he let them know that we were doing that because we had to do that. It was a moral thing to do. I mean, because they were attached to those files and they took offense to that at first. And we got fired for basically doing what was right. Yeah. And in the end that, you know, like in the end, it doesn't seem just at the time, but we learn and we, and we, and I stand by that 100%. What my dad did hundred percent, what I did hundred percent, I can hang my head high. And the people that were involved with wanting to push a deception, they'll learn, they, they, they'll get it eventually. And if they didn't get it, then they'll get it soon. And yeah. and you hope that they turn around on those kind of things because the thing is, is that we, again, it goes back to effeminacy, right? You got to do what is right, not what is, you know, and what it might be hard. What might be yeah. going back to the, you know, you are a man who lost his job because of standing up for your beliefs. You lost your job for not, if you don't mind me saying so, yeah, you fine. lost your job yeah, I, for not taking the jab. I didn't take the jab and, and I was mocked and um and bullied and and there's a lot of things that happened um but i i refused to take it eventually um i i was let go and and i was really upset i was really worried it was at the height of all the covid stuff and i'm like well how am i going to find another job mm-hmm. looking back i feel silly because god really took care of me um yeah. beyond a blessing. what i could have expected yeah. but one of the interesting things was I had a one of the guys who let me go. He called me up months later, well, close to a year later, and he, he wanted to apologize. And he said, I never want to do anything like that again or be involved in anything like that again. And and so that, you know, I thank God for That's that. Because, like, yeah. there's there was something to that. And I knew I couldn't live with myself if I had taken it, knowing what I knew. And I knew um, that if if I if I fell for this, then I'd fall for anything. Um, well, that was quite a test on everybody, yeah. and yeah. most people failed. Most people failed. 
yeah. unfortunately. And, and I, and I get it. I get the fear and I get why some people did it even not wanting to. And, and I, I really, I don't hold judgment against them. I just think, you know, unfortunately they have to live with that choice and, and I, and that's just the way it is. And, and I don't think it like makes you a terrible person, but I also understand now more than ever, you know, the power of one person um, standing up, you know, when you read, uh, you know, the Gulag Archipelago and just the power that one person has by, by not cooperating with what's going on around them, you know, the f- true freedom you have, uh, say of St. Maximilian Kolbe, they couldn't take that true freedom to love and serve God, even in a starvation chamber. Um, you, He was totally free, even in that situation. And that's way more extreme than anything I faced. But it, it just really brought about, you know, that that when you have things taken away from you and you're choosing to follow God instead, that God rewards that in a different way. It also really helped me realize that all the work that I put into, you know, building my career and building my relationship with this company and moving up in there, it really wasn't worth that much compared to what my soul, the value of the, my soul and taking care of the soul God gave me um, that I have stewardship over. That's, that was the big difference. And, and I think that, you know, like with this topic, you have so many distractions if you're, if you're wealthy, if you're powerful, that distract you from what's actually important. You put the value of the wealth, the value of the power over the value of your own soul. But as our Lord said, um, you know, like what is a gain a man to sell, you know, to gain the world and sell his soul or, or in that uh, man for all seasons, you know, mm-hmm. what is a gain a man to sell, you know, gain the world and sell his soul, but for whales? <laughs> you know? it's it's so important and and our lord also says you know it's you know it's easier for a camel to go through the head of a needle than to get into the gates of heaven it's it's one of those things where you realize being poor is a true blessing in this world because it's this world isn't our home we're we're just traveling we're, through we're passengers uh, on a yeah on, on god a journey. very quickly is handling the consequences of sin when you actually think about it compared to eternity 6,000 years of dealing with the consequences of sin and having a resolution to it built into it and then a way to get into heaven. A million years into heaven, God willing, we'll be sitting around saying, hey, remember when, you know, <laughs> we're sitting back here? I hope I forget. That important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it won't seem that important what we're doing Not in this world a million years into heaven. And well, it really been- gives perspective. This has been an awesome conversation, and I look forward to having you on many more times. And uh, we uh, we should probably wrap this one up for for this round. But uh, yeah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna love having you back on, uh, Mr. Well, Black. You're to. more than welcome back onto the program. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I um, uh, as you can see behind me, I've got a new office. Uh, you can probably hear uh, the echoing in it because it's still pretty empty so far. Um, but I am, uh, hoping to get back on track here. Uh, I had to take some time off during the, uh, the break there. We were finishing the office and I set up Starlink with Elon and, uh, uh, it was supposed to make everything better, but here I am using my data on my, uh, on my SIM card again, uh, because 
Uh, apparently, it's overheated, and uh, I, that's going to be a problem in Paraguay. Um, but uh, you know, my hope is is that we can get back on this thing rolling. And uh, I want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, this thank is being high trust, low context. I'm El Chaco. Thank you again to Mr. Black and Viva Cristo Ray. Amen. <laughs>